Well, this morning, as I, I mentioned earlier, we are kicking off a brand new sermon series. But not only us, but I found out this last week that us plus two other kind of larger churches in the area are kicking off Genesis sermon series. I really, I had no idea until this last week, we've been planning this for a while now to do Genesis, but I was looking online that Soteria plus Walnut Creek are doing Genesis sermon series. Now, way back in like April, we had planned a sermon series and uh, had planned a series for this fall. And then during my summer kind of sabbatical time was praying, thinking about you guys and our world and culture and kind of thought, man, this is, this is what we need right now is to kind of lay down some foundation in Genesis. And so there must be something in the water or, or they are copying us. So their churches. So just for a moment, allow me like, I was that dog up there. If you could just zoom in on my face, just stop it. Walnut Creek, Soteria, stop copying us. Okay, that'll be done with that. No, I, I, I know those guys over there. I'm kidding. We don't have any bad blood with them. But why, why would three different churches begin to preach on this book? Why this book? Why Genesis? Uh, you know, it's not actually the oldest first written book, but it talks about the beginning talks about history. It's maybe one of the, the first books that someone will go to. It's the, the first one in the Bible. And if you've been a Christian for years, you've probably read it maybe lots of times. You know, I was thinking about this idea of in, in culture of movies, even TV shows, that we... We love a good origin story, you know, or, or prequels are a big thing, right? I and mean, we've got two major kind of TV shows happening right now, the, the Rings of Power, kind of this prequel, Lord of the Rings. Anybody else watching that? Okay, there, there are my nerds out there, yes. Uh, there's also like the HBO, like House of the Dragon. I, I'm not watching that one, but these kind of before the story, looking at the beginning type things. And so we're calling our sermon series from the start. As you're going to see, that's the very kind of beginning of this book. It begins with in the beginning or from the start. Because it's so important for all of our life, our understanding as Christians, for the rest of the books of the Bible to know what the very first book says in the beginning, from the start, what God did, how he laid the foundation of things to know about Jesus, to know about sin or marriage and gender, or to know about judgment. All of these things you find right here in the very first book. Charles Spurgeon has this quote, this famous preacher, pastor. He says, begin as you mean to go on and go on as you began and let the Lord be in all that you do. There's something about that, the book of Genesis, to lay down this foundation that the rest 
will flow from that. And we're going to see that. So we're going to be having different people reading our text each time. So I'm going to invite up Liz Kruger to come on up and read our text. We're going to be in Genesis 1, verse 1. Now we'll read the first 25 verses together. It'll be on the screens, but, but I encourage you guys to follow along in front of you also, whether it's on a phone, tablet, or in um, paperback, Bible. So Genesis 1, 1 through 25. And, and as she reads this too, I want you to hear the similarity and repetition in this. So. All right, I don't know. Is this, is this on? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, 
livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Thank you, Liz. As I preach through Genesis this fall, we'll do the first uh, 11 chapters this fall, um, I'll be using uh, a scripture journal. I encourage you guys, if you like taking notes or circling things, these are great ways to do that. It's kind of got text on one side and place to write on the other side. Uh, but this morning, I've got, I've got three main points as we kind of just kind of mine this text to see what, what can we learn about who God is and creation ourselves. But then I've got like 13 sub-points, okay? So we've got to move here this morning. Number one, from the start, we learn about God. I think it's pretty easy to hear from, from Liz reading this that there's, there's one main character here, God. I mean, it just, it begins literally with, in the beginning, God, right? And then you could just stop there and do a whole sermon on just that, in the beginning, God. And then every verse that kind of follows, it mentions God. Verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering. Verse 3, and God said. Verse 4, and God saw. Verse 5, God called. 6, God said. 7, God made. And God called. God said. I mean, just God, God. God. God is the main character here. You'll notice this pattern, right? I said, look for pattern, repetition. There's this idea of him uh, saying things. He sees, he makes, he creates, and then he calls. And this is all for a purpose that I'll talk about a little later. But God is, is, is making the solar system, everything, every little Adam, but first and foremost, we have to just stop and say that this is all about God. This is a book about God. It's not about you. It's not about us. There's that song, You're So Vain. I bet you think this book is about you. No, this book is about God from the beginning. Now, remember earlier we did communion, I, I read from Exodus. This is when, during the Exodus, that Moses is given this account, this book, Genesis. Uh, the people of Israel have been enslaved for hundreds of years. They're finally released from the slavery by God's awesome power. He displays this in, in plagues and all kinds of things. And as they're about to um, go into the desert and eventually the promised land, Moses goes up on this mountain, receives from God this account of Genesis and the Ten Commandments, other things. And this is really important to think about for us because they, the people that this is being written to just came from a place of, of slavery and other gods, uh, gods of the sun, of the moon, gods of the Nile, or gods of frogs, or fertility, all kinds of things, cats, crocodiles. And now they're going into a land 
of other gods, the Canaanites, Baal, Asherah, all these things. And God wants to tell them from the beginning, there were no cat gods or Baal or other things that I was like fighting for. No, there was only God. It's, it's not unsimilar to us right now as we think about all the things that vie for our attention or worship or things out there that God wants to teach us about himself even in this very book. So what do we learn about who this God is from the start? Well, number one, we learn that God exists. As I said, these first four words are very meaningful. In the beginning God. From the very start, before everything was even, anything was even made, there was God. We live in a time where that fact is not um, universally accepted. There are plenty of agnostics or atheists, people out there, famous people, I mean, that write books and lecture. I mean, Richard Dawkins, Stephen Hawking, uh, Christopher Hitchens, who passed away, but he wrote a book called God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. Uh, he wrote against organized religion that it is violent, irrational, intolerant, allied to racism, tribalism, bigotry, invested in ignorance and hostile to free inquiry, contemptuous of women and coercive toward children. I mean, if you go down to the uh, downtown farmer's market, uh, you can see the Iowa atheists and free thinkers. So we have to combat that. We have to talk about that to say that, no, there, there, there is a God. Francis Schaeffer was a, a famous Christian who wanted to do a lot of apologetics to prove to other people that there is a God. He wrote a book called The God Who Is There. He said, we must never forget that the first part of the gospel is, is not accept Christ as Savior, but God is there. Christian faith turns on the reality of God's existence, His being there. You know, we come on a Sunday morning we sing songs. We, we don't just sing songs to some figment of our imagination or a, a hope or a philosophy, uh, but, but a real, existing, living God. Now, I, I could go in this morning to different, like, apologetic proofs, um, like, like the ontological argument or from design or moral argument, and if that interests you, you know, come, come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you more about that. But, but Genesis 1, all it does is just say, there is God. It doesn't try and prove that he's there or give you proofs. Charles Spurgeon, I quoted earlier, this pastor, he writes about the Word of God, but I think it talks about God too. He says, the Word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose. The lion will defend itself. You say the same thing about God. God is there. We don't need to defend him. He will defend himself. And right from the beginning, we see that there is not multiple gods or you know, some sort of pantheon of a, 
upper God, lower gods. I don't know if you've, you've seen some of the newer, like, Marvel movies that are out there, or TV shows. They're kind of in this new theme right now of the pantheon of gods. Um, you know, different ones like Moon Knight or Thor, Love and Thunder. I've lost, like, 30% of you just mentioning those things. But it's in our culture right now of, of multiple gods out there. But right from the beginning, the first four words, we see there is one God and he exists. But then we also learn from verse 1 that this God is powerful. Verse 1 is kind of this, this explanation of the whole rest of the chapter. God created the heavens and the earth. It's basically saying he created you know, the top part, the bottom part, and everything in between it. There, there are so many books that I found out of the Bible that keep coming back to that verse. Keep coming back to the fact that God is so powerful and amazing because he created everything. He created the heavens and the earth. And how does he do this? How does he create everything? By speaking it into existence. Look at verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 6, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Verse 9, God said, let the waters of the heavens be gathered together. He, he speaks, and it comes forth. I can't do that. I don't know about you, but I, I can't speak things into existence. Like, I can't just say the word lion, and a lion appears. Or money it does not happen. Or like, you know, Chicago Bears winning. No, I can't make that. Monkey Butler. No, can't do that. I mean, even if we tried to, like, say something all together, like, our collective power, we wouldn't do anything. This is the power that God has. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. <laughs> There's this, 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 this Latin phrase, ex nihilo nihil I don't know if that's how you really say it, but it basically means out of nothing, nothing comes. If I had a cloud of nothing here, you know, get rid of all the light, the oxygen, whatever else is in here, I couldn't make a birdhouse, pull some wood out and paint and there's just nothing, right? But this is the power of God. He takes pure nothing and speaks and creates. And it's not like he got tired or worked really hard at this. It is effortless and shows his just sovereignty over everything. There's no competition here between other gods. He's fighting for earth or this or that. No, no. You see that in other kind of creation accounts in that same later time period of creation myths that the gods are fighting for power and how to get it. No, the, our God is powerful. But not only that, but he is good. 
I mean, if this was just an all-powerful God but was not good, that would be scary. But right away from this first chat, we learn that he is good. The things that he makes, he then it says he sees or he notices that they are good. It's not like an accident. He creates animals or the water or he creates mosquitoes. Like, ah, oh, that, that one's not good, right? Or surprised by it. But light, earth, vegetation, sun, moon, sea creatures, beasts. Every time it says, and it was good, and it was good. He's creating good things because it comes from his own goodness, his good character. And then we'll see in verse 22, and then later on in verse 28 that we'll read next week, that he even blesses. He, he is benevolent. He gives his goodness away, right? He, in verse 22, he blesses the, the animals. Be fruitful, multiply. He's going to bless humanity and then all of creation later on next week. It's on the sixth day. But that, that, that little idea that he is good combined with that he is powerful and sovereign, it has been so profoundly comforting to me over the years. When my life seems like chaos or my, my anxiety or depression or things are failing around me, I, 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 I do this. I, I come back to those two simple truths. God, you are good and you are sovereign. There's a purpose behind this. There's a reason you are good and I can trust in that. And throughout the Bible, it, it keeps coming back to this. Exodus 34, the Lord Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness. 1 Chronicles 16, for he is good. Psalm 25, good and upright is the Lord. Over and over again, these two thoughts. He is good. He is powerful. But not only that, number four, we see that he can be trusted. Did you notice this, uh, that whenever he speaks, it happens. There's no delay. There, there's no, um, you know, time period. But every time it says, and it was so. God said, he makes the expanse in verse 7, and it was so. In verse 9, he makes the land, and it was so. And it was so, it keeps repeating that, and it was so. God says something, and it's not like he's just some sort of, um, you know, cosmic brain robot that is just spitting out planets and robots. He's, he's willing these things to happen. He is good, but then it happens. We can trust that what he says will happen. even if it takes time or years for us. You know, in a later time, we'll, we'll talk about Abraham, who was promised a son and then waited 25 years from God for that son to come. 
Well, we can take that for us as Christians and say, whatever God has promised to us, it will come true. It's going to happen. The simple fact that Jesus is coming back. Yes, it will happen. And number five I want to touch on is that God is creative. You know, in verse one it says, in the beginning, God created. That word created there, it's, it's, a, it's a unique word in, in Hebrew that is only applied to God. Baruch. Only God baruchs. Only God creates. It's often this kind of new activity that he is the only one that does that. And you see this creativity in his making of the world and the days he uses, days one, two, and three, he's setting up the 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 the, the, the the land, the setting, he's got day one, light. Day two, the sky. Day three, the, the land and the plants. And then kind of filling in the characters on each of those next days. Day four, where there was light, there is sun, moon, and stars. Day five, where there was sky, he fills in with birds and, and the waters below, fish. Day six, where there was land, he fills in with animals and and man, and there's even structure to his creativity, right? You notice that evening and morning every time, probably mimicking from the very first day that it creates light from darkness. There was darkness, then light. I think we can extrapolate or apply from this that he then calls us to be like him in ways. He's going to make us in his image, we'll see next week, that we are to be creative also in your job and your artwork and who you are. I, I do want to touch on that there's uh, a, a debate out there about what these days, are they, are they literal, are they figurative, you know, what, what do these six, seven days mean? Are they 24 literal days? Are they ages or, or what? Um, I personally believe there's there's room for interpretation to still be a, a Christian. Um, my 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 own view is that it's it's more of a literal six days. But I also don't think that, that this text is only about that. <laughs> that it's not just sort of text to kind of point to and say, look, this is exactly what this is. If you have more questions, thoughts, I'd love to talk to you more about that. But we're gonna keep moving here. Number two. Yes, this talks about God, but this also talks about creation. We've kind of looked at things kind of from the top down, from, from God creating everything, but now let's kind of look from the, the bottom up in a sense. All that he has created, what does this say about all that he has created? And some of this may sound similar to the first five points, but number one, creation or, or everything was was made by God. This is just repeated again and again throughout Scripture. Everything is from God. In the book of Job, when he's been suffering and questioning God, God finally shows up and talks to him and he says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job 38. Tell me if you understand. Who determined its measurements? Who stretched the line upon it? Or 
on what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone, who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out, when I made the clouds its garment in thick darkness. It's just very common, a, a just a truth in Scripture that God made everything. Verse 1, the heavens and the earth. So everything we have, the, the, the wood on this table, the, the, the metal, the, the paper, everything we have came from something that God created. Number two, creation and God are not the same. You know, God did not use a piece of himself to create something. He, he, he didn't kind of take, you know, his, his hand to be the land or his eyes to be the sky. There's uh, an older idea, but you see it nowadays, of what's called pantheism, that God and everything or creation are really just one and the same. Uh, maybe you've seen previews out there for um, the movie Avatar. It's coming back in theaters because a new one is coming out. I don't know if you've watched that movie recently, uh, but that movie, that idea is all about pantheism. This quote that I found, Avatar is a long apologetic or defense for pantheism, a faith that equates God with nature and calls humanity into religious communion with the natural world. It's set on the planet Pandora, whose native race is threatened by human invaders seeking to exploit Pandora's natural resources. And these, these beings are saved by their faith in something akin to Mother Nature, described variously as a network of energy and a sum total of every living thing. This sort of gooey pantheism has been Hollywood's preferred religion for years, even in like Star Wars, Pocahontas, The Lion King. Now, I'm not saying like, don't go watch movies, don't see this movie. No, I, I'm just saying it is out there. And our word, the word of God, speaks otherwise. Number three, moving along here. We also see that creation or everything had a beginning. Again, these first four words, in the beginning, God. The, the beginning of, of what? Of, well, Everything, even, even time itself, had a beginning. In fact, this is a, a great apologetic or defense of God. The choice is either that all of this around us, either, you know, is an infinite reality, has been here forever, or had some sort of clear beginning. There are, there are religions like Buddhism and others that 
that, that believe in some sort of infinite reality or kind of, you know, evolutionary progress, and then it all goes to nothing and keeps going up and keeps going down, just here forever like that. But this world does not have an appearance of infinity. <laughs> Even if you think about, you know, the, the, the most uh, scientists out there believe in a big bang theory, a, a start to the universe. Number four, creation was made good. Remember we saw that God is good, he blessed it, but he keeps saying it is good, it is good. At the end he'll say it is very good. This is important for us to know that nothing, nobody was created evil or imperfect or without purpose, I think we can say. And thus we should be good stewards even of the things, resources, creation that God has given us. And number five, creation, everything without God, will fall into darkness and disorder. You know, verse two is kind of interesting. It says that the earth was without form and void and darkness. And there's this image of the Spirit of God hovering over all of this. It's almost like this image of a piece of clay on a potter's wheel before it's shaped. It's just devoid of image or anything. It's, it's about to be shaped and done something with. But all throughout this creation account, God is, he's taking light from darkness. He is separating sky from water. He makes the earth. He is doing this in this, this structured kind of way. There, there's this idea out there of entropy. I don't know if you've, you've heard this, but it's the idea that if you uh, leave something uh, to itself, it will decompose, get uh, less structured. I made a gamble this morning. I left tomatoes down here, especially by like Eric and Brian, during my sermon. And they did not throw them so far at me, so now I'm going to go back here with them. But to illustrate this idea, I have tomatoes here for my garden. I'll put these out afterwards. You're all going to take some. But if I were to take any of these tomatoes and to leave them here, and we were to watch them every Sunday as they were here, they would slowly decompose and become mush and nothing. That's what happens with fruit and all kinds of things. It just slowly gets more disordered, becomes nothing. The fact is that God continues to work in creation to maintain it, to not let it fall into disorder and to darkness. And this is so important for us to think about why, why, why are all these facts, these ideas necessary? Great, we, we mined Genesis 1 for ideas about God, about the world, creation, all this stuff. Great knowledge to kind of puff us up as Christians, but if it just stays there as knowledge, it doesn't do anything for us. If I am walking through the jungle and somebody says to me, there's a tiger about to attack you, 
and I do nothing, I mean, that's, that's on me, right? But what do we learn about ourselves from Genesis 1? Number one, we should worship God and not creation. When we come on a Sunday morning to sing songs or in your own personal devotional time or drive in the car, listen to worship music, that should be our thought that this is the God who spoke things into being that I am talking to, I am singing to, that I am worshiping. And then everything I see then, the trees, the plants, all of that, it is, is his handiwork. As Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day it pours out speech and night to night it reveals knowledge. We can just look to creation around and say, God, you are amazing and awesome how creative you are to make all of these things and then to worship him for that. But, but it should also say and teach us that while we can see the, the glory and grandeur of creation, that there's something just not right or wrong with this, this world. If we were just to stop here, right, and not read the rest of the Bible, we would think, what well, that doesn't really line up with what I view the world of. It's not all good very good. I mean, yeah, we have beautiful sunrises and mountains. You know, I love kind of picking things from my garden. and they're, they're... But you also have in nature, you have violence. There's this phrase, red and tooth and claw and animals and dung beetles. What, what's the deal with that? <laughs> I mean, there's Something not right about this world. And so for this final fact, we should trust in the God who made everything to remake this world and to remake us. Kent Hughes says this, On day one, the miracle would begin with God speaking. Light into existence. And that light shining in the darkness. And Paul made the same application of this truth to our dark hearts in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Kent Hughes goes on and says, just as the Spirit of God fluttered over the dark water, so he does over the dark hearts of humanity, preparing them for the word of God that will make them into new creations in Christ. God created the heavens and the earth and the universe, and he can make you new as well. What a great and awesome and powerful God that we trust in, that he didn't just create and leave it on its own, but then pursues us and makes a way through Jesus that we can be in relationship with him and one day be in perfection and wholeness with him in heaven. We're going to close our service by singing one last song to praise him. 
and also of our, our offering. We're going to take our offering here too. Both of these things are acts of worship. The giving of our bodies, our voices to God, and the giving of our resources. He made it all. And he calls for us to give it back to him. So let me pray this morning that this text would apply to us. And we'll close with singing and offering. Father God, we praise you and give you glory that you made everything. And it wasn't a struggle or a battle or, or, or hard for you, but you spoke it and it was. And God, I ask that uh, as you work on us, our brokenness, our darkness, our shame, our guilt, that you would remake us. You'd make us new and better and good, that we can be said of that we are good. As you say in Scripture, that you can say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Father, send your Holy Spirit to revive us, to bring revival, to call us to worship you now, and to give of our offering, that you'd use that offering to glorify you and bless you through ministry. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.